0: Hello and welcome to the Doxology podcast. I am Jens Nelson, and I am Lucas Stock, and this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So before we jump into today's super exciting episode. Uh, one that was actually recommended by one of our listeners. Uh, so shout out Matt. Uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to call everybody's attention to the the episodes that are going to be following this one. So this episode drops on a Tuesday. Uh, this coming Friday, so just a few days away now, uh, we're dropping our first episode from our conversation with Gavin Ortlund. Uh, we're really excited that he came on our little show here to to talk about Anselm. So in keeping with our typical theme for Fridays, we're we're doing a Christian of history and that happens to be Anselm. And then a week from today, we are having a a bigger conversation, one about Anselm's Pursuit of Joy, uh, which is a book that Gavin wrote about the Preslogian. super exciting i really enjoyed the interview especially towards the end we got to some really interesting questions that's like have been rattling in my mind like gavin's answers have been rattling in my mind ever since so i just wanted to plug those two episodes be on the lookout tell your friends you don't want to miss these two episodes with gavin ortland but uh, without any further ado without any further ado uh, let's talk about today's episode in particular. Uh, So as I mentioned, one of our listeners, Matt, uh, had sent us a tweet saying, hey, do you have any episodes about eternal subordination of the sun slash eternal functional subordination of the sun? And I said, no, uh, we certainly have episodes on the Trinity. We have several, I think we have like one episode like called on the Trinity. Uh, We have creeds and confessions episodes where we talk through the, you know, the Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, and so conversations about the Trinity come up. So I told him, I'm sure ESS slash EFS has come up, but we've never had like an episode dedicated to it, what it is. Uh, so I told him, let's do it. So <laughs> this is this is a great example of like sending us episode ideas and and sending us feedback and us following through. So uh, Lucas, is there anything that you want to say at the outset before we begin our conversation?
1: I think this is obviously a much bigger topic than something we're going to be able to like hit completely cover in the course of one episode. Um, to say nothing of our own uh, expertise or lack thereof, but it's a really important topic because it's one of those topics that's that that's relevant. It's one of those topics that comes up a lot it certainly comes up a lot more in the online world than the real world at least in the circles that i run in online and in the real world um but there's you know not an unreasonable chance that if you've grown up in church if you if you are you know were or are in any sense evangelical in terms of your church home um you've likely come across this if not grown up in it if not currently are swimming in it and um that's because it's it's a surprisingly to me still uh fairly common i'm not going to say the majority of people who would identify as evangelical or or as christians or as protestants or whatever would um hold to this but it's certainly a a teaching or, or a collection of teachings or whatever you want to however you want to think of it it's certainly um a way of looking at the trinity that has over the decades in recent especially recent decades become quite influential on evangelicals um and because of that it's it's important because it's also in my humble opinion it's also bad <laughs> so to me, it's something that's worth talking about uh, just in general. Uh, I don't I don't just mean us talking about it or talking about it on the internet or whatever, but it's something that's important to, to I think, wrestle with because I think that it is an incredibly um, pressing issue when you start asking questions about the Trinity. And how you answer those questions about the Trinity are, or, or how you answer those questions is something that uh, has a great impact and influence on the rest of your theology, the rest of your practice. Um, I was saying, but right before we hit record, like these sorts of questions, when we're dealing with, with the Trinity, as as abstract and minute and philosophical as they can sound and they can feel, and they can certainly get that way, um, they really are, that they, they, they come together you know what we believe about in our Trinitarian theology really does come to, to, together to to be the the bedrock or the fountain or whatever analogy you want to use of all of our theology. Um, that that's how you do Nicene theology. That's how the Church generally does theology throughout history. Um, it's it's from the Trinity, right? Mm and so when there's a question about the trinity when there's a question about something that the trinity does something that about the nature of the trinity these these questions obviously have big uh, import by nature of their subject so this question in particular eternal subordination eternal functional subordination of the son has to do with with the the way that the second person of the trinity the son relates to the first person of the trinity the father and specifically how do the son and the father relate to one another in eternity right we're talking about that. there's this term uh in theology the the economic trinity and the imminent trinity um the the economic trinity referring to how the trinity interacts in you know with creation with us in the world father as creator son as redeemer spirit as um illuminator illuminate thank you <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's one of the things uh but um the imminent trinity referring to how the what the trinity is and how the trinity is within its own within their own relations to each other within their persons within eternity as opposed to within uh, their interactions outwardly with with us in a created order so this is a question of the of the imminent trinity the the very nature of god's being how do the persons of, of the godhead specifically the, the son and the father relate to one another and the 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 general position of 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 this sort of I guess you could say doctrine or, or, or interpretation of Trinitarian relations is that the son relates to the father in eternity by being functionally subordinate. That's that, that other name for it, eternal functional subordination, by being functionally subordinate to him, submitting himself, the son submitting himself willingly to the will of the father. Um, and this is something that is eternally true. It is something that is um, true of God's very nature it's something that, that is definitive and descriptive of the very relation between the father and the son and the son and the father. It is one of a hierarchy of role, not of being, right? We're not talking about whether or not one is more or less God than the other, right? We're not talking about whether or not one is God and one is created. These are questions that we'll, we'll touch on, I think, in a, in a second as well. Um, but that's where that that other name for it, the EFS acronym, comes in. Um, it's it's functional. It's a it's about roles. It's about uh, what the persons do and, and how they go about doing it. Not you know we could we could think maybe in in human terms you know what they do, not who they are, right? So w- we'll critique this you know throughout. Um, spoiler alert: neither of us are going to affirm. ESS or EFS or whatever you want to call it, um, and we'll unpa- as we unpack it, hopefully some of the details will will maybe you know be clarified or, or helpful questions will at least be raised, um, and that's t- to me that's the gist. Right? Is is there's some sort of hierarchy? There's some sort of um, authority and and submission role going on between the father and the son in eternity and how that works itself out in terms of how they uh, act in the world and in, in salvation history, in terms of what that means for us as people who are trying to live like God, be image bearers of God. Um, You know, there are lots of different consequences that, that we could draw from this, but, but in terms of sort of the bare you know, like the, the theological core, I think it's fair. And I want to be open and humble if, if someone's listening who, who uh, can, you know, call me out on, on something that I'm, that I'm getting wrong, please do. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's honest and fair to say that that's more or less the core point, right? This, this subordination in role and in relations that, that is within the Trinity, specifically with the father and
0: the son right um i mean they have to do it that way or else they're like there's no escaping heresy to 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 believe in a subordination in any other sense would to to just wreck the godhead it would wreck orthodoxy and so that's why most people that would affirm efs slash ess are going to say like we're not arian we're not heretics we we are Trying to communicate something about function, not ontological reality. So uh, yeah, I would agree with your statement.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's that's it's really important to to note at the outset that um, we're not talking about Arianism. Um, I, I I've seen the the accusation or the almost really practically speaking more of a slur, Arian thrown against ESS quite quickly and easily and I totally get that reaction but it's I think worthwhile and responsible to make a very clear distinction between Arianism and ESS because first of all Arianism is you know more or less like the arch heresy for for Christianity and the Christian faith Um, so I think it's important to to understand Arianism like what Arianism really is in order to defend against actual Arianism, right? Um, because if we misidentify Arianism, then we're more likely to make mistakes in dealing with real Arianism. Um, for most Christians, real Arianism is not a day to day reality in terms of the teachers they're listening to or the books they're reading. Um, something like ESS might be, you know, um, it's certainly more common, I think, in our church culture today. Um, to run into someone who would, who would express some kind of subordination within the Trinity. That is not the same kind that Arius was, was arguing for, which is good because what Arius was arguing for is very bad and completely destroys, like you said, can destroys the very nature of, of God himself. And we, we obviously nobody wants to do that. So um, it's important to understand Arianism for the sake of, of, fighting Arianism, but it's also important because we, if, if someone is in error or we believe that someone is in error, but if it's not Arianism that they're falling into, then I I think we could even say that, that it's at the very least irresponsible. And at the most outright sinful to accuse a brother or sister of being an Arian, if they're not an Arian and you know that, but it, you know, gets you clicks or um, has a nice ring to it. Um, it this is where that that distinction between a functional subordination versus some kind of ontological subordination, uh, uh, a subordination in the roles that the father and son uh, play or or uh, fulfill versus a subordination in the in the the being and the nature that the father and son have. Um, right that that is very different, right. and And you don't have to affirm, ESS or Arianism or Nicene Orthodox, you don't have to, you don't have to, like, it's not hard to see how different those things are um, in the abstract, right? Um, whether or not you think a role subordination makes sense or is good, it's not the same thing as a subordination of being, right? Um, which is why I think it's important to, to clarify that, 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 um, to clarify what we're talking about and in order to to make critiques that are actually legitimate and valid and fair right? Um, for, for the sake of loving our brothers and sisters, as well as our enemies, even um, as well as just intellectual honesty and being able to really get to the bottom of something. It's hard to get to the bottom of something if you're calling it
0: something that it's not. Right. I will confess I do have a hard time understanding how even functional subordination does not verge on ontological like i don't i don't know how you can say that the sun has a functional subordination and how that does not in turn lead to an ontological subordination as well maybe that's just like my lack of understanding of the efs argument like does that make sense like how 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 can we say that like the sun is only functionally subordinate but that not be tied to his being like how how you can how you can differentiate between being and function I have a hard time understanding. That's me personally, just getting that out there.
1: And I think that that illustrates also the ways in which like, or, or, or maybe starts to illustrate or starts to get at the ways that this is, despite potentially sounding like a rather esoteric, you know, far removed from our day-to-day worship experience uh, type of question that that it's really not, Right. Because there are these implications and these ripples that come down to, hmm. okay, let's say that the son is functionally subordinate to the father. Well, what does that actually say about his being? you know? And, and those are questions that need to be answered. Or what right. does it say about our worship of, of the son and the father? How do they compare to each other or, or, or don't compare to each other, right? And, and there are questions that, that don't take very long to get very practical, whether we're talking about just what we believe about Jesus, or whether we're talking about how we worship in, in church together, or whatever the case may be. It doesn't take long to get practical. And you can also see the the other ways that this is practically, you know, sort of played out within the types of circles where it's common, is the, the complementarian, egalitarian gender debates of evangelicalism over the last, you know, 40, 50 years or however that's certainly long the
0: biggest place that I think this finds relevance for the average person yeah and
1: you can you can also quite easily I think see why there there is that relevance there because functional and role subordination as opposed to ontological subordination is the very definition and foundation of a complementarian view of gender right mm. the the idea that there is some kind of role distinction between men and women in marriage um, that has nothing to do with the, you know, human nature of either a man or a woman who are married to each other, but, but has to do with, by, by virtue of God's providential ordaining of them, certain standards and practices that, that God has intended for for marriages to to reflect, right? And one of the things that makes this, I think, appealing when when arguing questions of gender roles is you have this analogy that reveals itself between the father and the son and a husband and a wife if if you hold to this view of the Trinity and that view of gender, right? And I'm not saying that every complementarian Holds to ESS, or every ESS is a complementarian, and I'm not saying complementarianism is good or bad. I, you know, I, I we're not we don't need to get into that because that, it's just not it's not relevant right now. The point being, there's this this analogy within the relations of the Trinity to look at human relations, hmm. and that that you know congruence it, it feels very smooth and nice. You know what I mean? And also, if you can make the case that the Trinity relates in this way, and we ought to relate as the Trinity does, I just said the Trinity ought to be our foundation for belief and practice. So that that could potentially be a much more compelling argument if you can, w- whatever your view of gender relations or social relations are, if you can root them in the Trinity, and if that's a legitimate, you know, move on the basis of scripture and, and, and god's word revealed to us like if that's legitimate that's a pretty compelling way to, to argue i'm not convinced that in the case of ess and complementarianism that it is actually a straight line between two truths that reflect each other <laughs> i don't think that's really what's going on there but the point being um this is not merely esoteric you know ivory tower theologizing right right, right. um it's definitely practical and it's 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 definitely important and you can, w- when you start seeing the, the relationship between questions like gender and gender roles and, and, and the way marriages are structured, um, you see the weight that mm-hmm. these questions have that are tied to the weighty question of how does the Trinity work, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's probably pretty clear at this point that like this is important,
0: right? Right, exactly. And, and it's a it, it's a conversation that I've personally wanted to have for a long time. I've, i again, to be honest, I've felt like ill prepared, and I, even at this point, I still feel like this conversation is so large. It's one that's been had for so long by people far more intelligent and credentialed than I am, and I feel like I'm only scratching the surface in understanding like what is happening. So, like right now, might be a good time to first just mention a couple of books. So, like, if you're somebody who wants to read about the Trinity, if you specifically want to read about EFS, um, like, where are some places you could go? Um, three of the books that I have, like, in my hands, I have a, a almost a brand new book. It came out a couple months ago. It's called Simply Trinity: The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit by Matthew Barrett. Um, great book about the Trinity, about um, you know nature and being. He has a, a chapter about eternal functional subordination. What's really interesting. Is like the spirit gets lost in this conversation. Like everything about eternal functional subordination re- revolves around the Father and the Son. So what what do we say about the Spirit? Like that that I just had that thought. I don't know if if anyone else has 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 commented much on that point. But like, what is the Spirit also subordinate in this conversation? Um, but yeah. So another book is Trinitarian Theology, um, theological models and doctrinal application. Um, so the editor is Keith uh, Whitfield. This also has a couple of contributors, Matt uh, Emerson, Luke Stamps, who who come up pretty frequently. Uh, we also have The Holy Trinity by Robert Lethem. Uh, we, we mentioned Robert Lethem quite a bit with his systematic theology, but this is like an 800-page tome on the Trinity. Um, really solid. Uh, I know like Fred Sanders has a book. Um, I'm blanking on what it's called off the top is of my that head. The...
1: I haven't read it, but it... it... Is he the one who wrote Trinity without hierarchy?
0: That might be what I'm thinking of. I know Michael not, Reeves also has. I'm not sure. Yeah. I get those two books confused because they have similar covers. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, a bit, there are plenty of really solid books. I know, I think Lucas has one by Scott Swain, which is like an introduction into the Trinity. Um, don't you, ha- don't you have that? Were we talking about that book or is that somebody else?
1: I don't think so. I don't think no? I do.
0: Okay. Must've been somebody else, but um. Regardless, there, there are lots of places that you can turn for really solid conversations about the Trinity because, I mean, there certainly could be a book about EFS on its own, um, but to divorce that from the context of like the Trinity, I think would be to do a disservice. So to talk about the historic doctrine, how we even came to talk about Nicene Trinitarianism, why that's even part of this conversation. Like, why do we hold um, hold it so highly? Why is it a problem when, um, when people seem to be working against it, and even though we've just said that EFS is not Arianism, I do think it comes like very close at least to non being non-Nicene, um, so what the Nicene Trinitarianism posits is like a, a, a rebuttal against Arianism, and so um, some of the language that you can find here in EFS is Contrary to Nicene Trinitarianism, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so yeah. without without labeling somebody an Arian and an Arian, I think we can at least say they, in some sense, are being non-Nicene.
1: I would agree. Yeah, I, I think it's in my understanding and reading. It it seems pretty clear to me that that Nicene Trinitarian theology is not consistent with eternal subordination of the sun. Right. Um, now maybe Nicaea was wrong and maybe that's something you want to, you want to say, <laughs> um, I don't want to say that. And I see no reason to say that from scripture or anywhere in the tradition, <laughs> let right. alone like some kind of consensus. Right. Um, so I, I, I definitely don't, don't see a reason to be comfortable being non-Nicene and I do see, um, some real non-Nicene, um, beliefs that that are i think connected to this ess right Hmm. and so when i look at this issue like there there are two there are two big interpretive issues that come to mind for me um that leads you to posit this subordination within the life of the trinity one i think is just bad exegesis um so there are lots of passages that talk about Jesus's humility or his obedience or his, um, he, you know, uh, in Hebrews, he learned obedience, right? Uh, in the gospels, he he's always submitting himself to the will of the father. You know, I don't, I don't do anything except that, which the father tells me um, those sorts of, of, of things, right? Um, it's reading all of these passages that talk about Jesus's, Uh, actions and his humility and obedience in the incarnation so so this is as a human being as if those same passages spoke univocally like equal sign to the inner life of the trinity jesus as man equals jesus as divine word right which jesus is man and he is the divine word they're not two different People, they're not two different things. Um, but I think it's, it's not um, necessarily, you know, I would want to be careful to say that the way that Jesus interacts with the Father as a human, um, and the way that he interacts with the Father in his divinity, like the way that he interacts in his humanity, and in his div- divinity, are always one and the same equal, and that there are no other um nuances to that like we're dealing with the incarnation we're dealing with the mystery of the incarnation we, we 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 ought to at least recognize the potential for for some complexity there right and i think that if we just draw a big equal sign then we we're, we're i don't think we're, we're necessarily doing justice to the context of jesus's you know say his temptation in the wilderness or learning obedience or growing in stature, right? Like we're not going to say when, when, when Luke, I think it's chapter two talks about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature before men or or among men or whatever. I forget the exact quote. Um, I I don't think very many people are going to say, Oh, look, the second person of the Trinity, the word of God in eternity past grew. He used to be small and then he got bigger. As time went, uh, you know, in eternity, not even time, right? We're not going to say that because we recognize whatever whatever Luke is saying, right, about Jesus. Whatever whatever we can learn about Christ um, by learning that he grew in stature uh, as a, as a as a human child. I I don't think there's any textual reason. <laughs> to infer that this has something to do with oh the divine Word has a a a, bo- a physical body right like that just doesn't it, it there's not this this straight equal sign it's not univocal it's equivocal there's there's human nature and divine nature are different right right Jesus has both he has both and he truly does he's one person who has both the divine and human nature yes like the unity of Christ, if you've ever listened to me talk about anything related to Christology, you know I'm I'm not a, an opponent of the unity of Christ, but that's not to say that Jesus doesn't act as man in a way that might differ from acting as God. Um, and the other thing is there's plenty of texts where he says that as the incarnate human being Jesus of Nazareth, he says Things like I and the Father are one, Um, and I am in the Father, the Father is in me. You know, and and you know, and I will be in you just as I am in the Father. And the you know, like, so I just don't, you know. There's, I don't know. I want someone really smart to like respond to me and like show me where the holes are in my in my exegesis and my logic, because like I don't think you have. It just seems it seems too. It seems like like it's it seems too easy, right? That like it just doesn't seem like a fair reading of of the text that that would that would be relevant to this, right? It doesn't seem to be the the most reasonable interpretation of these passages. Um, well, Peter, I, I don't maybe, know if before, yeah, if there's I, I more do. you want to say specifically on this exegetical piece before moving on, I, I don't want to. No, I
0: do. It. No, I do. Um, I'm actually going to just going to read a small excerpt from Simply Trinity by Matt Barrett, because I think it it really helps get to the point. Um, Because he says, Scripture always emphasizes the Son's equality with the Father without any qualification, right? So, (laughs) So, and when I say always, I mean always. The Word was with God and the Word was God. No qualification added. He is the image of the invisible God. No nuance needed. The Son of God is the radiance of the glory of God. No lesser glory or authority mentioned. He is the exact imprint of his nature. No exception clause around the word exact. If he were a lesser power, Hebrews could not say that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christ is the power of God, to quote 1 Corinthians 124, no less than the Father. How else could he say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father? He is not some God, so lowercase g, um, lower on the Trinity totem pole of divine authority. Do we dare correct Jesus when he says that I and the Father are one and interpret except in power and authority? Don't forget that part, Jesus. Like it's it's almost as if to say, to have to say that Jesus plays a functional subordinate role to the Father. How can he say that I and the Father are one? We would almost, you would almost, I mean, Maybe Jesus didn't want to add the the exception clause of accepting my power and authority or accept in my role um, and functional being or whatever. Um, but th- this, this next part too, he says, even the Pharisees who did not believe in Jesus understood that he is claiming to be the son of God. Even his most vicious opponents comprehend that he is claiming total equality with the father, John five eighteen. If Jesus had merely qualified himself as he should have, if EFS is correct, to explain that he did not mean equal in authority, the Pharisees would have never put this so-called blasphemer to death. Uh, like, even for Jesus to say earlier, like you mentioned, like, I always do the, the will of my Father who is in heaven. Um, that's not to say that, like, the Father has some will outside of the will of the Son. If we believe in simplicity, there is one will. There is one being, one will being acted out. So Jesus is saying, I am the Father. What I am doing is what the Father is doing. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Um, so to, to he's not say, saying I
1: am the Father.
0: Well, no, no. You're, sorry, but, I misspoke. But. You know, <laughs> I and the Father are one. You, you know, you know what I meant. I apologize. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, I just I had but to bust that's it. Had to bust that's why. Choice. Yeah, that's what. That's how this is a, a very. It is a very nuanced conversation because we're not. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know where exactly I, I was taking that specific part, but w- what I'm trying to say is like to to talk about exegesis to talk about the reading of scripture, to talk about, um, I don't know. We haven't even really mentioned any passages that EFS uses. I know like first Corinthians 15 is a big one. Um, Ephesians five where it talks about, you know, husbands and wives. Um, I think there's some that they'll point to, um, but I mean, in my mind, you, you mentioned this earlier. Um, you mentioned sort of like an implication of, of like how EFS can be practical. Like this does affect our, our worship. We're not simply just having some sort of ivory tower conversation. Um, we're talking about like the very, I mean, the doxology of our life, right? Um, and so we can think of a passage like, um, you know, in Matthew where, where Jesus walks on water, right? Uh, he, he walks out to the boat he gets in calms the storms they're terrified um but when he gets into the boat they start worshiping jesus and confess that he's the son of god right so that they worshiped him um but if as efs claims that there's some sort of functional subordination um some i mean so i i'm kind of all over the place and i apologize but Um, earlier in this chapter on eternal functional subordination, uh, Matt Barrett talks about Bruce Ware, who is a a, a proponent, I guess, of EFS. And he says how um, Bruce Ware has said and written that the father is supreme over the son, the father stands above the son, the father alone deserves ultimate glory, even over the son, who only deserves penultimate glory, and the father alone should receive ultimate praise. Um, So those are things like quotes from a book that bruce ware has written right um but in this passage where, where jesus is worshiped where he is extolled as the son of god um shouldn't jesus have stopped them and said like no, no 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 like don't don't worship me the ultimate praise the ultimate glory is not mine i'm a lesser authority than the father so worship him give your praise to him right and so that's that's a point that like he makes towards the end of this chapter that um, if we're going to like get to the nitty gritty of this, if we're going to start assigning some sort of functional subordination, where do we stop? How, how do we not get to the point where we say that Jesus isn't also worthy of worship, honor, and glory? Okay, I, what I'm trying to say is like, I, I, I personally just do not understand the eternal functional subordination argument. I don't know how we can see it as being biblically sound theologically sound and I think maybe that's my best segue into the next thing you wanted to say so I apologize for sort of being all over the place
1: no 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 not at all and I mean you even mentioned basically earlier um the the other interpretive issue that that the big one that comes to my mind there's this bad interpretation of of relevant scriptural text but I think there's just this bad theology um that the father and the son don't have the same will Right like that so in order for the son to willingly submit himself to the will of the Father, you know, doesn't that imply, if not just just state that there are two divine wills? wouldn't you know are there three? Does the spirit have a separate will as well? Um, but it's not I don't think it's possible to to talk about the Trinity and talk about, The will of the son and the will of the father you know or the will the will of the son or the will of the father or the will of the son you know as opposed to the will of the father like that's not that's not uh accurate the the, like you mentioned divine simplicity even without getting into those questions like it's there's no indication that god has multiple wills in himself that somehow um you know, compete with each other or are in perfect unity because of the perfect love of God, but they're not actually the same will. So in theory, they could be opposed to each, you know, like, like it just, I, I, I see this, this, the even, even asserting that this subordination is only in relationship. It's only in role. It's not in the being It's not an attack on Jesus's divine essence, but you know, that's good. I'm glad, but even limiting it to some kind of role, there are these implications theologically that I think do start to separate and maybe splinter the divine essence a little bit, because on what basis do three persons who equally subsist in the same divine essence, not share the same divine will hmm. right like like i don't know theologically how you can make that work let alone that like biblically right um and it just doesn't make again like it just i it doesn't make sense to me i just don't think it is good theology i just don't think it is an interpretation that holds water when you start putting it a little bit under the microscope, right? Well,
0: so I want you to maybe think about this. I'm going to read another passage from this book because I was really perplexed by this. I had never heard this part of the conversation. So I want to get your take because it relates to theology. Um, So this is what it says, quote, not only did the son live and die for us, but also for himself. His obedience was not uh, an obedience for our sake only, but for his own sake as well. Remember, EFS teaches that subordination is what makes the son a son before the world was ever created or a sinner ever sinned. He cannot be son otherwise. In eternity, within the imminent trinity, the son must be obedient or else. Or else what? As EFSers say time after time, or else he is no longer the son. That logic transfers into history as well for EFS the incarnation is but a continue uh, a continuation of an eternal subordination yet notice what is lost obedience to the point of death then cannot be all that altruistic in the end the son has to obey anyway otherwise the very meaning of his sonship is relinquished efsers won't admit this but the son obeys uh, sorry the son obeys and dies not only for us but to ensure he continues and does not forfeit his sonship
1: yeah, that's interesting. I also hadn't heard that. I mean, the the really all I think of is that doesn't make any sense. Like, why are, why why does his sonship depend on that? You know, like I don't I don't understand what the basis of that is because what makes him the son is that he's eternally begotten of the father. Right. And but <laughs> right.
0: I, I think what to so are you critiquing Matt or are you critiquing like an EFS?
1: No, the EFS, like right. because I don't I don't recall ever coming across the idea that the relation that that the father and the the, the relation that the son has is 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 defined by his actions right that the the relations of the trinity are defined by begottenness and procession right that the the spirit proceeds from the father and, and the son Um, and the son is begotten of the father that the the father is neither begotten nor proceeds right like those are how we define the 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 trinitarian the the again that those imminent eternal trinitarian relations right it's not like god's fatherhood is defined by the fact that he speaks from heaven the fact that he's creator right because then we, we start doing things like that and and God is is then dependent on creation, right? The Father is dependent on creation to be who He is, or whatever. But we don't want to say that. And I think there's a, there's a similar thing where we don't want to say that the Son is the Son because of what He does.
0: Right. The, well, the a, Son
1: does what He does because of who He is. Right. Which is God. <laughs> um, but well, He is the some... Son as opposed to the Spirit because of the relations that He has, which is He is begotten Agreed. eternally
0: agreed eternally. Right. You know? And I think I think what what he's emphasizing here in the book is that there are EFS proponents who project obedience from the economic Trinity on the imminent Trinity. So in, right. in talking about the that, economic, yeah. like what happens in the world, like obedience there is sort of like put back on the imminent Trinity. And so by 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 doing that, I think what his point about the son and his obedience to death, isn't just an obedience for the sake of man, but so he can, con- quote unquote, continue in his sonship. So, oh, like, right. yeah, I think, yeah, I
1: think that's a very, that I've ne- I've also never heard that argument before from anyone, let alone specifically EFS. But I think that Barrett has, I think that critique is very spot on in terms right. of that that's the core of the issue. Hmm. Um, and and, I, and I'm just saying it again, I just don't understand why we have to go here when we have this Trinitarian vocabulary and grammar that we just have to throw out in order to, to make some of these some of these claims and stuff. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's interesting. We I you know, I I did a little bit of, of perusing some some of some creeds and confessions, and we never have this hierarchy, right? Um, the Athanasian Creed, we read that um, the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. The 39 Articles and the Westminster Confession of Faith both emphasize the eternal unity of the Trinity, not any sort of disunity or difference. Um, Neither of them make any statement about the Son's eternally subordinate status, but that that because nobody said that, like that wasn't the issue. Right. Um, but there is this overwhelming equality in view when speaking of the Trinity, they're talking more specifically about that, the the essence and the being as opposed to the roles. So, you know, I can imagine some EFS person saying like, Oh, I can affirm the Westminster because, because I, I agree with, with what they're saying. They're, they're, they're talking about the being of God. They're not talking about the roles. And, and that's fine, That that's fair and all, but like, I just, I don't understand if there was this subordination, why we would have this overwhelming equality with no mention of the area where there is a hierarchy. Right? right. And then uh, section eight of the Belgic Confession reads, there is neither a first nor a last for all three are one in truth and power in goodness and mercy. Um, the Westminster Larger Catechism, Section 9, there be three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties, right? So so the, the, this is where the, the issue is not whether or not there's distinctions. Obviously, there's three persons. The issue is where do those distinctions come from and what defines them? And I just don't understand how, you know, this is this is a largely, if not exclusively, you know, evangelical Protestant
0: Western thing,
1: debate, Western, you know, yeah. a, 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 a an evangelical issue, right? And I, I I don't know, you know, we we've mentioned before on the podcast. There's there was at least in the past a time where Wayne Grudem said we should rewrite the Apostles' Creed. So there's there's obviously um, no guarantee that uh, there's any sort of um, confessional adherence that is required. But it's interesting to read through pretty much all of the, ma- or at least most of the major Reformation confessions and catechisms to read through the, the, the three Catholic creeds. And there's just no mention when talking about the Trinity of anything except their complete equality right and again maybe you say well they're just talking about their essence okay fine they are talking about their essence they're not you know but then my question is why do they not draw out this distinction between their equality and essence and hierarchy and role that seems like it would be important when i'm talking about what to believe about the trinity to make clear rather than saying things like oh their majesty is co-eternal oh they're there's no first or last. They're equal in power and glory. Like, like, yes, the the emphasis is on the the essence of the Trinity, but you still have these statements. <laughs> and you have like like the what kind of the the um analogy that Matthew Barrett was drawing in, in what you read earlier, like there's no there's no asterisk or exception written underneath or footnote or whatever. Um, which is an argument from silence, but it is interesting that you can go to all of these major confessional documents throughout church history, and you're just not gonna find it. You're not gonna find this hierarchy. And I think that that's telling, um, especially after walking through what we've walked through so far and raising some of the questions, um, some of the other interpretive questions that I just find glaring. You know, I just, I I find them quite difficult to, to get around. Um, and and you know, as I was preparing for this, I, I had a thought and I couldn't resist tweeting it. Like, I just don't understand. And I, I don't know how many of them actually do, right? Like like try this, but I just don't understand how someone who who was like fully convinced of e, of, of ESS, how they could affirm any of the creeds or any of the confessions from the Reformation or really anything else that I've come across. It, at least when it comes to the Trinity, right? Mm, right. And I I, I don't know. I, you know, like like I said, I, I, I wish I hope I hope Wayne Grudem listens to this and responds to us. <laughs> I hope I hope uh, the smartest, most well read and accomplished EFS scholar in the world um, would like send me an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com with with like a list of all of the holes in my argument because it just seems too easy. For people who love Jesus, who are striving to to be faithful to the Bible and faithful to to Christ, to come to such just seemingly bonkers conclusions about the nature of God, just on the basis of what the Bible says and what the church has said, and what we've always affirmed. And I just don't see any reason to throw all that out, especially when the, the what's on the other side just isn't
0: compelling. Yeah, unfortunately, I I mean, I, I want to be charitable. I want to be generous and gracious. And so if I'm wrong in my assessment, I do apologize. But to me, a lot of this debate doesn't hinge on biblical, creedal, historical witness and importance, but has more to do with modern debates and finding or seeking to find justification, whether it be for complementarian viewpoints or whatever it might be, like there, there just seems to be motivations leading people to these conclusions, which like, to me, you can be complementarian and not affirm EFS. So why, why do you, why do you so ardently cling to EFS as like your, like your linchpin to this whole conversation? Like, There are other ways If you are to...
1: complementarian, you should be complementarian and not EFS. Right, exactly. <laughs> you
0: should do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's ironic because I can think of—I won't say names—I can think of a couple examples of people that I know believe in affirm EFS, and they're the same people that say, "Just read your Bible, like, j- just preach the gospel." And I'm like, "Yeah, please, can you? I mean, like, I—I <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. want you to, like, but that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but, um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have much else to say. I really enjoyed. I mean, I was already reading Simply Trinity um, because I purchased the book because it just came out and the recommendation came up and I was like, this is great. Like, it's already on my mind. Um, these other two books, I just sort of perused to see what they would say. Um again, I feel so inadequate to to have this conversation, but I hope it was at least informative and one that will maybe begin another, maybe there'll be a, a part two. Maybe we'll have a, a follow-up to this episode where someone engages with us or critiques our arguments and we have a, maybe we have like a, a an interview with somebody, who knows? Like if someone's listening and you have like real objections to what has been said here, like let us know. We're not trying to disparage anybody. We're not trying to throw anybody under the theological bus but we're trying to um one be holy be be biblical be be faithful to the witness of scripture and to the history mm-hmm. of the church and to the end of the day like if jesus isn't equal to the father in every way like why do we even go to church why do, why are we christians like if, if he is in some way subordinate like in my mind he has uh ceased to be who he who he says he was so Like there, there are stakes here, like at the, at the very end of the day, the stakes are pretty high. And like, how could we sing with the, you know, with the angels and with the chorus of people like worthy is the lamb who is slain worthy to receive honor and glory and praise and all these things. Like it, it just doesn't make sense to me. So that's sort of where I'll leave it. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts, but no, no, just as a prayer, I figured we would, we would just sort of
1: pray through, read through the Athanasian creed, which, is familiar to those of you who have been around for a while, uh, but I think it's a, uh, uh, it's a little, it's you know, it's a little long, but it is a really good way, I think, to wrap up a conversation like this. So, whosoever will be saved, before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith, except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this: that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in Unity neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such as the Son, and such as the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreate, the Son uncreate, and the Holy Ghost uncreate. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal and the Holy Ghost eternal, and yet they are not three eternals but one eternal, as also there are not three incomprehensibles nor three uncreated but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So, likewise, the Father is Almighty, the Son Almighty, and the Holy Ghost Almighty, and yet they are not three Almighties but one Almighty. So, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God, and yet they are not three gods but one God. So, likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, and the Holy Ghost Lord, and yet not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be both God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there be three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one father, not three fathers, one son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is a four or after other, none is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. So that in all things, as is aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshiped. He therefore that will be saved must thus think of the Trinity. Furthermore, it is necessary to everlasting salvation that he also believe rightly the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the right faith is that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, God of the substance of the Father, begotten before the worlds, and man of the substance of his mother, born in the world, perfect God and perfect man of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting, equal to the Father as touching his Godhead and inferior to the Father as touching his manhood who, although he be God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ, one, not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by taking of the manhood into God, one altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ, who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sitteth at the right hand of the Father, God Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, at whose coming all men shall rise again with their bodies and shall give account for their own works. And they that have done good shall go into life everlasting. And they that have done evil into everlasting fire. This is the Catholic faith, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved.
0: Amen. Amen, man. Well, this was a fun
1: one. I I, like you, you just got done saying I hope it was helpful. I you know, I hope it wasn't just a big waste of everybody's time. I don't think it was. I don't feel like it was a waste of my time. Certainly, in prepping it, I feel like like some. I, I found some clarity on some questions I had around this debate and stuff. So hopefully, other people, um, you know, go check out those books uh, that that we mentioned, um, as well as just others in general on on the Trinity and on this debate particularly. Uh, let us know if you found us helpful. We'd love to to connect with you on that and 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 to know. Um, what, what we can do better, what we can continue to do that's helpful. Um, and at the end of the day, just thank you for listening, tuning in today to this, uh, I can't think of a pun, this uh, newest subordinate to the last one episode of the Doxology <laughs> Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast uh, or available by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. We'd also love those of you who, um, we love those of you who support us. And if you'd like to support us above and beyond and then above and beyond some more, uh, you can check out in our social media pages, in our our bios, there's links to our Teespring store where you can purchase Doxology podcast t-shirts, which is pretty rad. Um, You know, obviously a big chunk of that is just going to the people that make the shirts, but you get a cool shirt and also, and he, that's your, you get to support the show in a way that is, uh, like I said, above and beyond just tuning in, listening, interacting with us on Twitter, sharing all that good stuff, which uh, which is already more than we would have ever asked for. So check it out if you want. Uh, do come back for the next two episodes with Gavin Ortland. It was a fantastic conversation. We're really grateful to him for his time and his thoughts and his wisdom. And we're really excited to, to share that episode. Um, you get to plug at the beginning, so I'll plug here. This so far has been the highlight of, of doing the, the podcast. And that's no slight to any topic we've covered before or any guest we've had before. But it was such an amazing experience to get to read uh, the book that we read and then talk with him about the book, right? And and he just has so much to say about Anselm that's so, uh, it's just the fruit of, of years of, of uh, study and reflection on on Anselm and and his work and life, which results in some uh, really awesome uh, things that we get to that we get to at least touch on in yeah. the in the episodes. Uh, so tune in for those. I don't think you you'll be disappointed if you listen. That's this fr- coming Friday, and a week from today, next Tuesday. But anyway, that's a very long winded way of wrapping up this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And until next time, we'll see you. Peace.